0: Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. This week's episode, we are continuing the conversation on reparenting, particularly from our new workbook, How to Meet Yourself. If you are watching the video version of this on our Self Healer Soundboard YouTube channel, You can see me holding up the workbook. Now, if you have the workbook and you want to follow along with us, you, of course, are welcome to, though we're intentionally creating these workbook podcast episodes so that we can share the work and the practices and the conversations with you, even if you do not have the workbook or are unable to get it. So we're continuing the conversation from last week's episode on reparenting. And a good preface here, if you have not tuned into them already, a few weeks back, I believe it's episode 80 and 81, we did a two part series on everything you need to know about your inner child. And when we are talking about reparenting, which we are here in this episode and in our previous episode, episode 88 we are reparenting the inner child within us all. So I do suggest visiting episodes 80 and 81 for those that two part on inner child and then joining us today as well for our own continued deep dive into what reparenting
1: looked like within both of our lives. So as often is the case with the work, we simplify things into two steps. And the first step of a reparenting journey is first to become present present or aware of those habits that most of us are carrying from our childhood experiences, environments, and relationships into our adulthood. And to look in particular at areas like our relationship with habits or rituals. Do we have them? Can we make and keep daily consistent promises to ourselves? An area that's absolutely important to look at when we're talking about reparenting is in our self-care. How is it in terms of our habits? How are we showing up to care for our physical body in terms of what are we eating? How much are we moving? Are we resting? How are we breathing? Ultimately, those tools help us to navigate our emotions. So we really want to become present to what role our emotions play in our life? Do we feel like we can be calm and grounded when we're having an emotional experience? Can we remain connected to other people in our relationships when we're navigating upsetting emotional experiences? Another area to become present to when we're talking about reparenting our inner child is to begin to witness how often and when we have moments for that inner child to be creative, to be imaginative, to be joyful, and to be spontaneous. And of course, the reason we take that first step, becoming conscious to our current habits, that step allows us to take the next step, which is to begin to become intentional and to make new choices in those areas to begin to show up as the wise inner parent within each of us. I'll be honest, if I was
0: listening to this for the first time and heard everything that you listed off, I would have felt myself swimming in the deep end, not knowing really where to get any traction here. And at the end, when that all came full circle, and for those of you listening, if you are new to this, this will be very helpful for you. Everything that you just encapsulated, which are, we talked about in the last episode, the four pillars of reparenting, loving discipline, self-care, joy, and emotional regulation, everything that you just shared, all then goes into that first initial, we're just becoming aware of it. And everything that Nicole just spoke, while there's so many different bullets and different categories, all of that just falls into the first step, that sheer first awareness. When you choose to practice or when you're willing to even become aware of your current reality and habits, then you'll start to see and learn all of those things that Nicole just listed. And for some people, it does smack you in the face almost right away. Not because these things are suddenly new and there, but because you're actually perceiving them for the very first time to you with this new awareness, you are just noticing your maybe inability to regulate or maybe your lack of self-care habits or the absence of joy in your life. That stark contrast may be and likely will be very apparent when you do begin a practice of awareness or becoming conscious.
1: I really appreciate you acknowledging that, Jenna, because I think a lot of us, when we hear inner child, when we think about reparenting or showing up as the wise inner adult, and then when we're met with these very actionable steps, which, like you're sharing very wisely, often are in contrast to our daily lived habits for a lot of us that can prompt or activate immediate resistance. Well, what do you mean? I'm an adult. Of course, I know how to care for myself and navigate my emotions. And why are you even bringing up joy? Life is serious. There's obligations that I have to take care of. And for me, that was absolutely the case, especially, you know, of course, in the emotional realm of things, being a clinical psychologist, I was really met with that resistance. I thought myself to be incredibly insightful and aware, which I imagined led me then to being an emotionally mature, regulated individual, only to realize how, for me, um, how unable I was to emotionally regulate. So just sharing that from my personal experience of having that immediate shame, that immediate visceral reaction where we can immediately deny or become defensive to even having this conversation, or even becoming curious with our own self in these daily habits. So if that is you, as you're hearing this and you're feeling yourself constrict, roll your eyes, maybe even go to click off this play, (laughs) this podcast (laughs) in and of itself, right? Honoring that the reality in this moment might be, there are a lot of feelings coming up. There is a lot of shame, a lot of resistance and using, and just taking that for information because ultimately, when we're met with new information, with new habits, which is what we're going to talk about here, the practice of showing up differently, all of us as humans are going to be met with that initial resistance because our subconscious mind prefers the habitual. Even if the habits aren't creating the life that we want for ourselves, and we know instinctually that this journey would help us, the second we shift into newness, our subconscious is going to activate that resistance. I really appreciate that shame is being brought into this
0: conversation already in the first few moments because it is something that I believe and see is so woven into the experience of so many of us as humans. And I see so much of that stemming from an expectation that now as grown adults, we were somehow supposed to have gone through this process of Understanding relation and emotion and attunement, being connected to our own body and the wisdom and what it's telling us, all of these things that we desire and are seeking on a healing journey that are absolutely available to us, yet we have this inherent shame in adulthood when we do choose to become aware and think, you know, why didn't I have that all along? If I came in so whole and complete and perfect, then why am I so screwed up now? Why am I not at that originating place? And even if we can turn the volume down on that shame and that judgment, it's still there and it's so rampant. And it makes sense when for me as an adult, particularly in the reparenting process, like having the language for reparenting and actually putting it sort of in that box or just in that language for myself and saying, "Okay, this is what I'm doing that felt really foreign. Like I was an adult learning how to tie my shoes for the first time, or maybe learning how to walk for the first time. Something that for most people is just innate and instinctual as we develop, but I'm over here Wondering why it's taken me so long to figure out that I need to put myself to bed early, that I need to speak to myself kindly, that drinking enough water and stretching my body throughout the day is actually the largest return of investment I could ever have. And it's the first thing to get shaved away if I don't have time for it or whatever other excuse wants to come up. So it's a very humbling experience as well to be willing to reparent And to have space for any shame that comes and for the connected grief that comes with that shame. Because I know for me, connected to the shame that I might feel is a very real grief and feeling of a broken heart in my own soul, in my own little Jenna heart, the child within me that didn't get parented in the ways that I needed, that didn't have my main survival needs always met, let alone the joy or someone to play with or to talk to. There were sometimes at a level where food, water, shelter, safety, those were things that were out the window. And if that is something that you relate to, or maybe that even wasn't your experience, but in another way, you had an environment where you also didn't feel safe. It's not like one trauma is larger than the other. They both reside in the body. And it is very important to allow yourself to hold space and by holding space, I mean literally arms wide open, become a vast empty room for whatever physical and body sensation that comes up, whatever thought or emotion that comes up in this process. And hold it lovingly like you're rocking or swaying it back and forth. Because for many of us, that grief has been so suppressed, so tucked down, so shoved into our organs and our cells that it is just hibernating in our body, waiting for an access point for some light to come in for it allowed To be allowed to surface so if that does come for you you feel that or are resonating with that allow that to be because that suppression of that grief is quite literally a locked door it is a blockage point you cannot heal
1: what you are unwilling to allow yourself to feel grief is such a foundational part of this conversation to speak to your point, as we really do become aware and see in our life, the impact of areas where we weren't consistently parented in our childhood, what we can meet on the surface might not even be that grief in that moment. It might actually be anger at those caregivers, at the people who weren't present to parent us in the way that we needed. And a lot of times, you know, sadness and grief really do go hand in hand with anger. So as we're talking about shame and I love your beautiful illustration of really making space in a room to hold what comes up. That is included holding what comes up, the anger, the disappointment, the resentment that you might feel then at your caregivers. Because this is another area where, and you and I see this quite often um, when we put out the weekly TikToks. I don't know how many of you listening follow the holistic holistic psychologist on TikTok account, um, though Jenna and I are often in little vignettes playing roles. And one of the most frequent comments we get from very well intentioned, well-meaning caregivers and parents of all sorts all around the country, all around the world, is a direct, you know, kind of accusation of us shaming, our intention being to shame very well-meaning, under-resourced caregivers out there. So to preface this conversation, it's it's not about shaming or projecting the anger and the grief that we're feeling onto the likely cause or contributor, because I'm not to say that, of course, our parents, our families, our earliest environments played a role, though for them so did their families, their earliest environments, the resources and information they either had access to or didn't have access to so When we're talking about making space, it's also making space for the very understandable anger and disappointment and resentment that we might feel based on that lacking what we didn't get. And this is all, before we're even talking about practically ways to show up, I mean, this is very much showing up in service of creating space for all of those suppressed feelings that you're speaking of.
0: That's so important, the anger piece, because that for, I mean, everyone will have their own individual journey, though I know for me, anger came later. Anger was not one that I thought was really even there because I'd put a smile on my face for all of my years and I had tucked that anger so far down that I thought I had forgiven it. I thought I had released it, put myself in a relationship as we are relational beings with not one other person, but with two other people in this what we call a thruple this three person relationship. And it was like three mirrors, a mirror of myself included being held up in front of me, not of myself, Nicole or Lolly, but of every parent figure or person that had ever crossed me, wronged me, violated me or hurt me. And it was very, very brutal. I did not know that I had so much anger within me for these environments and let alone my brother Jake dying last year and that was just like ripping off the bandaid of the reality of just how wrong the abuse was how bad certain situations were so we talk about this one pillar of reparenting that is emotional regulating or emotional regulation and being with those big emotions being with that grief i'm so glad you said anger because it's it's somewhat easier sometimes for people to hold space for the sadness or the shame or the grief, but talk about anger and rage, and we get even more shameful at ourselves for the anger and the rage. So much so that we devoted two podcast episodes also to that. There are a few episodes back. One is called Allowing Our Anger, and I think the other is called How to Release Our Anger, which is Actually, allowing and holding space for the physical sensation of anger in our body, allowing it to actually surface, and then the release of that anger because it is actual energy in motion and does have to be moved out. Those are actions of reparenting. That's an action of emotional regulation. And you might find or have already found in your own reparenting journey that along the way, certain practices will then unlock other practices. Emotional regulation for me wasn't a pillar that I really got to practicing until a couple years in on my journey. I just had to establish the basics. I had to quite literally just start feeding myself, getting into a routine, taking care of myself in the ways that I was never cared for as a child. And here I was at the beginning of this, you know, turning 30 and really just beginning to parent myself for the very first time. And it wasn't even until maybe 33, 34 years in that I could even get to that next layer. So you'll also find that you're not going to see everything all at once In many ways, this is a treasure hunt because I'm more today able to access deeper healing than I was yesterday. I'm more able now than I was 10 minutes ago. And that will be the same for you. It is a continued journey that's unlocked by the actions and the thoughts that you are taking
1: and having here in the present. Hearing you talk about your relationship with anger and thinking about my own relationship really with all of my emotions. Similarly, you know, like I was sharing earlier, here I am the clinical psychologist entering my thirties. And in reality, when I started to witness my own relationship with my emotions, I saw much like you, little space. Um, for me, it was for all of my emotions. I didn't know how, I didn't know when I was feeling necessarily emotion. I didn't know what to do with it, how to regulate myself and Interestingly, all of this, all of the pillars really do tie together because in childhood, the habits that we learn, particularly around caring for our body, our nervous system, now that we understand that our nervous system plays a foundational role in our ability to tolerate stress and other emotions, really does then build the foundation for our ability to cope with our emotions or not to. And interestingly enough, even thinking about anger in general, um, all of our emotions have value. They're messengers. and we've had a couple podcast episodes on on that topic. And anger in particular is an important message, and we spoke about it in those two episodes you mentioned because anger lets us know when we're being violated, when we're in an unsafe situation and our limits are being violated, or when our needs are being unmet. And that anger that we sow, and I know I so easily project outward. I'm so mad at you because you didn't say or do the thing that I needed to get my needs met. In reality, I've come to realize the painful truth that that anger that I'm throwing so readily at someone else is actually anger that I'm feeling. And that marker is so important in that moment because what's happening and the emotion is real. It's indicating that in that moment, yes, there is a boundary violation that I'm experiencing, or I am having an unmet need. Though the responsibility that I can gift myself now with is, becoming responsible for what happens next not just lobbing my anger holding you responsibility you responsible for not meeting my need and then expecting you meet my needs so that I no longer have to feel that way so really understanding that for me um, anger and all of those moments when I'm feeling any version of angry agitated or whatever it might be that's a moment to look to look in the mirror and to really evaluate, How have I been showing up for myself? Because one of the main things that I learned in my childhood environment, especially around uncomfortable things, our emotions, we can absolutely group in that category, is to run away from things that are uncomfortable. One of the main messages in my childhood in a family where there was a lot of chronic illness and chronic pain, very understandably, is that discomfort is to be avoided because discomfort is usually an indication of something wrong if we really do want to simplify it. So most of my habits and most of my daily behaviors were not in honor of sometimes things that I actually needed, tending to my emotions, creating habits that actually cared for my physical body, even if the newness of those habits was uncomfortable. So when I really, for me, focused on that first pillar of loving discipline, I saw how undisciplined I was in areas, like you were saying, of self-care, how they are still, for me, the first things, commitments to go out the window when I have something external to deal with or something more comfortable to tend to. It's those things that are uncomfortable, and I don't necessarily like doing them, that are the first things that I still, to this day, habitually want to instinctually avoid, because that's what I learned.
0: It's so interesting to hear two different perspectives, because as you're talking about the Discomfort, you know, that stayed far over there. <laughs> your family steered clear of it. And I can see that and, like, know that in your sharing and your story. And I'm imagining my childhood over here. And when discomfort comes around, it's like the weaklings are thriving. <laughs> like, give me all of the discomfort, all of the hardship. It's where I get to shine. The world's on fire. And I can be over here, like, stoic, rocking a baby to sleep. And I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, I got a survival trait out of this trauma Though I have to be really honest with myself that that doesn't come from, oh, I'm just so rooted and grounded and In equanimity, all of the time. No, I learned that discomfort was my comfort. So I made a roadmap in my life to continue choosing paths and situations and relationships and experiences that were going to cater to my comfort, which was to be in chaos, to be in discomfort, to be in this poor man's mindset, to be in a poverty mindset, to be in struggle. That was so familiar, and anything foreign from that felt sort of, I I didn't feel just in it. I felt like I was wronging myself by simplifying things, by creating and finding ease. So, a loving discipline for me has been so, so rooted in my follow through of how I speak to myself and how I think about myself, and really. Nipping it or getting that awareness as soon as I notice the thought comes. And, you know, our thoughts are just pinging out left and right all day long. So, by no means am I going to be able to catch all of them, especially in the beginning. Though I will tell you, it is life changing and life affirming and giving when you do catch that first thought and you are able to reframe in that moment and speak to yourself kindly. I'll notice myself judging myself or, you know, talking shit about myself, something that. I know I would never say that to another human being. I clearly have those thoughts about other human beings, and I'll be honest about that to you all, because if I'm having them about myself, I'm having them in general. What I think and do and say about myself, I also think and do and say about another. And that reality in itself has so many people say, no, 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 no. I just talk about this to myself this way. I just sabotage and betray myself. I would never do that to another. Well, that's just not the case. We can only be one thing and emanate one thing. So if the weather around me is tearing me down, then just by situation and extension of my being in this shared universe, I'm also doing the same outwardly. And I share this because we do have two opposite ends of, I don't know what we'll call it, a spectrum here that Nicole and I are sharing. And I think that that offers a lot to the listener to See where you somehow fall in there, that regardless of what your experience was, out of what Nicole and I both just shared, there's opportunity for some compassionately harsh truths about just accepting the reality of where you did come from and how that reality is still here right now. Instead of just trying to fix and change and run to the finish line that doesn't really exist anyways, just actually being here and okay in the now and accepting the past that then has created and colored your now.
1: I'm over here giggling as you're talking, Jenna, because you're describing so much of what became so glaringly present to me, um, which is ultimately as I began to pay attention in those moments where I, I was at a choice point to either lean into the discomfort, in the uncomfortable <laughs> or thing away. Or, or run the other way. And Mentally, what what I would see was not necessarily shameful thoughts. Were thoughts about all of the reasons why I shouldn't have to do whatever it is that I was faced with having to do. Um, and once then I got past and really kind of like oh begrudgingly, you know I'm going to do it for whatever reason. Then I would play a mental game with myself of how can I do this thing the most efficiently and quickly. And this included all of my self care. Like I was saying, first thing about the window, how do I just care for this body as quickly as possible? Oftentimes, really roughly rushing myself through care, seeing it just like another chore, just like another obligation that I had to complete. So, in my mind, um, and I still do this to this day, which in a lot of ways has benefited the work I do in terms of structuring things and making efficient, you know, organizational charts in my head, though. I lived my whole life like that because my mindset, my mind told me that the quicker I get through this uncomfortable thing, the quicker I can get to this utopian place to relax, not understanding that all of the things that I was so quickly rushing by, especially when it had to do with my self care and taking care of my body, were actually the foundational things that were going to allow my body to rest and relax at that time. So avoiding those things, seeing them as just another obligation for me was again a remnant of how quickly can I get through that which is uncomfortable. And a mental trick that I've learned is to begin to pay attention to those moments where I'm reciting all of the reasons why I shouldn't have to do this, or even the fact that I have to. Watching for that language of should and have to in my mind and using that as an opportunity and the language that helps me is In those moments where I shouldn't have to, I change the language to, I can choose to. I shouldn't have to or not have to in that moment, though I'm empowering myself that I am creating the choice to. And for some of us, by keeping a vision on why, why do I care for my body? So I can have those peaceful moments of relaxation. Why do I care for my emotions? So I can be calm and grounded and connected to another person. Staying connected to that long-term intention or that goal might be the completion then of that sentence. Why do I care for my body? So that I can be calm and grounded and a partner who can be open to connection. That becomes then an empowering shift in those moments where if I were to keep thinking all the reasons why I shouldn't have to, I might think my way right out of doing that uncomfortable thing that I know it can benefit me.
0: <laughs> it's so funny that we're always running to that finish line or let me get all of this done quickly here so that I can get there. When Where's the there that you're going? Because when you get to the there, you're here, mm-hmm. right here in the now. No matter where you are, you're still always here. This was such a trip for me when we just got back last month from a few weeks in Europe and Lisbon was our last trip on the end of this little mini tour. And like every time I travel, I get so enamored in my mind of just the fact that I can be somewhere standing on the earth, go through some travel, hop on a plane a few nights, some canceled flights. (laughs) And suddenly I'm back home and I'm still just here. And like, wow, what a trip. This morning I woke up in another country and another (laughs) part of the world but I'm still just right here. I'm just right here with my eyes open, like taking the next breath and all this travel happened in between, but yet I'm still right here. And that really grounds me because it's all we have, all our purpose, our passion, our power, our patience, everything literally lives and is generated only right here in the present. So if you're someone that's resonating with Nicole, that's like, you know, I'm just going to check all (laughs) these things off, get it done quickly. By 9 a.m., I've got everything done. Completely negated the whole purpose of building this relationship and presence with myself. But I got my checklist done. And maybe use this as an opportunity to ask yourself, too, well, what's that payoff? What's the payoff of accomplishing all of those things and having them done? Maybe that's something that you've gotten used to as a safety net. That's a way to have safety and security in yourself. Oh, I said I'm going to do these things. Check. Got them done. What I didn't do was spend time in the stillness or the silence. And again, like someone for Nicole who doesn't like the discomfort, I didn't spend time in the discomfort. I actually did the opposite, so much so I plowed through so productively this morning that I didn't have to sit in any discomfort or stillness, and I got all my self-care habits done. That is negating the actual goal of self-care, which is building the relationship and the trust and the safety with yourself because it does take almost convincing at the beginning when you talk about speaking to an inner child or honoring that there is this child within you that deserves your love and safety and trust and very well may have never gotten that. You almost do have to convince yourself that they even exist because if no one around you in your world did honor or see you, or maybe you did and your experience was still so left feeling so unseen, so unsafe, so uncared for. Well, that unseen, unsafe, uncared for child didn't stay back in this childhood memory. No, it stayed in your physical body. It stayed in your organs. It stayed in your cells. It stayed in your nervous system. When you recall memories, it's activating your nervous system. This is a full communication system. So while you're going about creating new actions or intending these new actions and then following through, which has been the most monumental part of my own healing journey, is the follow-through. That is reparenting, in another word, is the follow-through. While you're having these new actions and that follow-through, be mindful of space you're doing it in, in the embodiment you're doing it in. Are you rushing through it to get it done? Because if you are, that's okay. That's not something to shame or make wrong. It's something to note because that is really valuable feedback. Okay, I've got this whole new lineup of self-care habits or this new routine I'm going to take myself through and I'm doing it. Great. That's something to acknowledge and to celebrate. Now look at how did I do that? Did I rush through it? Did I want to be done with it as quick as I could? Is that how I set myself up? Was I mentally somewhere else just going through the motions? Make note of that. Don't make that right or wrong. It's nothing other than it simply just being. That's information to you to see how you're carrying yourself through things and that there actually is a self that is witnessing how your body is going through the motions of these habits that have been so conditioned up until this
1: point. As you often very beautifully teach, Jenna, when we're talking about emotions and really being open to emotions, it is so needed to be open to all of our emotions because if we're not, and I'm just going to really simplify this, if there's no room for sadness in my world, chances are there's going to be not much room for joy or happiness because they aren't opposite sides, if you will, of the same coin. So sharing that to say the memory I have in childhood, having very limited tolerance for the discomfort of any emotions, particularly anxiety, growing up with a lot of stress, a limited amount of support, I felt emotionally stressed and overwhelmed often. And I have memories actually of playing hide and seek um, with my friends when I was very young or with my family when I was very young. And I love the challenge of hiding or hiding something. That someone can't find. Um, what comes to mind is Easter egg hunts um, in my home, and I would always want to put the Easter egg in the hardest place that you can't find it. Similarly, when we're playing hide and seek, I wanted to hide in the you know most secret place where no one could find me. And I have memories of playing hide and seek. You know, putting my body into whatever crevice it was that was going to be my stealth hiding place. And as I would hear whoever was you know the seeker coming into the room, maybe I would hear their footsteps or their, you know, voice or whatever it was, you know, coming to find me. Even if I knew I was tucked so far away that they couldn't find me, my heart rate would start to increase so much. I would start to feel what I thought was scared, nervous, fearful of this person who I thought was going to scare me, even though I was (laughs) the one hiding, because I was confusing excitement, right? Excitement feels the same in our body. Our heart rate races. We might begin to sweat, right? We get that elevated energy, For me, without any you know awareness or support of what emotions are, I grouped that feeling into fear. And what I literally would do with Jenna, I would would pop out. I would give my hiding place up. I would say, (laughs) "Here I am," you know. And literally, I would find (laughs) myself in hide and seek. And now I share that story um, to continue to illustrate. You know, emotions aren't something that we just preload it. Know what they are? Oh well, this is excitement and hide and seeks exciting. And I'm going to sit in this excitement until I'm found. No, we don't know those distinctions. And I'm still on my reparenting journey of creating space. And for me, what I know is incredibly important is not just space away from the event to make sense of what's happening, time. I'm not a person who can immediately give words to my feelings. I need that time, that space, that distance to actually settle, percolate, to continue to teach myself those distinctions before I can even communicate that to anyone else.
0: Which actually means literal <laughs> time and space spent alone alone. <laughs> by yourself with a journal, in reflection, in a Mm -hmm. meditation or a guided meditation, or just being in that stillness, that discomfort of the silence within. Because when you really go into the silence within, it's not silent. It's full of your intuition. It's full of wisdom. It's full of every answer that you could possibly ever need. And it's been here all along, much like a a tiny little seed turns into this giant tree that bears fruit. Well, next time you see a giant tree outside just blowing in the wind, sturdy as can be, remember that that entire tree came from one tiny seed that was all already within, which is why it is so powerful to imagine being that tree and knowing it's all within. In fact, I think that tree does know. <laughs> it just relies on the weather, the rain, the sun, the nourishment from around, and it does its thing. It doesn't have to falter or question or worry if it has everything that it needs. It already knows. We have the same inherent knowing. I say this all the time, but we are no different than the tree. We just have this miraculous thing called ego that really gets us astray. If you actually look at nature and the animals of nature and the way it unfolds and grows and flourishes, it takes care of itself. We falter. We get hung up in our thoughts. We go down rabbit holes. We get stuck in autopilot. We get stuck in these conditioned habits that are not actually us. And many of us, if we are fortunate enough to choose to wake up at some point in life, we're then able to create that separation and see, oh, I'm this person going through this human experience with all of these emotions and sensations that are happening, not actually being the emotions and sensations themselves, which is why it is so foundational to become that physical witness. I just heard Nicole say, five times maybe, why she drops into her body. If that language is new to you, dropping into your body is quite literally, right now I'm putting a hand on my heart, one hand on my belly, I'm feeling my heart and my breath from within because that helps me personally just get connected to my physical self. Though even without that, close your eyes for a moment if you're able. Scan from head to toe in your body just the physical sensations or the physical feeling of having a body. You can't look out for or care for something if you're not even acknowledging that it exists. And in your sharing of that feeling of excitement when you would pop out and then ruin and <laughs> I'm so curious how that would you get upset or angry afterwards?
1: No, I'd be relieved that I didn't oh, have you to were feel like, scared great, anymore. Yeah. That's so <laughs> that I was like secretively like, damn, that was a good spot. <laughs>
0: I kept thinking of this, which we've talked about in a lot of episodes before, and I know many of you listening resonate with that sort of red flag that goes up in your gut when you meet someone new, or for me, coming from you know a lot of traumatic relationship and abusive relationship, I really sought people that were going to abandon me, people that were not available, people that outwardly were showing me that they were not interested, I would chase them like a little puppy because I would get this familiar feeling that felt like someone wringing my gut. It didn't feel good, but it felt good in the sense that it felt so familiar. So then when I meet people later in life, have gone through some healing and a relationship is actually more aligned and I've now brought forward someone that's in alignment of where I am now. And I don't have that gut-wrenching roller coaster, what I might've associated with butterflies. I don't have this spark anymore. It doesn't feel risky enough to me. In fact, it feels just flat and mundane. Those are all things that are so, those are all really powerful moments for me to learn my own body and its reaction that that firework, that uncomfortable feeling that I kept seeking actually came from a very wounded place. It was sensing danger. That danger just became so familiar to me. So I really appreciate that we're having so much conversation around the physical body because regardless of what pillar, loving discipline, self-care, joy, emotional regulation— Those are all experiences that happen within the body. I actually pulled up Instagram earlier before this podcast and saw a memory that I posted one year ago today that was a picture of myself and my twin brother and my older brother. And my older brother, Jake, for those of you who don't know, passed away last November um, after years of recovery and active recovery and went back into addiction, was overdosed in October, died in November, felt very sudden after a lot of years on a different healing journey. And I share it here and I share it often because it is also such an example of reparenting. And in this post that I did a year ago today, I thanked Jake for, who was already dead this time last year, thanked him for reminding me that we are renters in these bodies that we dwell in, and for reminding me of the richness of the wisdom that is stitched in all of the sensations that we are speaking of here now. Every emotion, every feeling, this little hide-and-seek story Nicole's sharing, All of those are stitched and embodied with so much wisdom that holds all you need to know about yourself and the journey that you're going on. Sure, we can provide you tools and suggestions, but it's you actually spending that time in stillness and discomfort. Listening to conversations like this, having real honest conversations with yourself, actually dropping into your body, if that's even the very least that you do. You're just starting to witness that you have a body, maybe beginning to pepper in, even if you don't believe it, some thank you for this body. I'm grateful to have this body because the moment that you disconnect, and many of us have been disconnected for decades, Jake was very disconnected from that gratitude and that safety of his own body. That resulted in choices that now have Jake not here because he was physically and emotionally so disconnected and so shameful and suffering so much which is why it is so crucial to have these honest conversations with one another, but first with ourselves, because we do think that we can just continue on the way we've been going. Things will just end up fine or they'll just end up. And then something tragic happens like a life lost or a life completely derailed and a lot of grieving people left behind. And you are met with a very stark lesson that this isn't a joke if you continue that disconnection you will disconnect enough where your spirit your essence will be out there with us all jake is infinitely with us all his physical body that vessel is no longer here i don't have a way to interact with that anymore or hear from him in those ways and neither does the world so if you lose that connection with your body you do sort of exist as this floating head of cyclical thoughts up here with this physical body just sort of robotically walking the earth with no one to walk it or with no one to direct it.
1: When we don't feel safe, I just really want to emphasize this here again, when we don't feel safe and we're not connected to our body, to the emotions that are going through it, then we're not going to be able to make space for Happiness, for joy, for connection, for all of the things that come along with, like you were saying, being connected to the human, the humanity inside each of us, to the emotions that aren't us, but that very much are coloring our experience. When we're not in touch with that ourselves, when we don't feel safe to be vulnerable and share actual aspects of what we think, our perspectives, how we're feeling, when we don't feel safe just to be who we are, when we're in that state of disconnection, then When we lack presence in that way, we close ourselves off from any opportunity. And the first thing that I'll hear from most people, again, seeking from outside of ourselves, is where can we find happiness? Much like me, when I get to the end of that to do list, right, hypothetically, I thought what I was going to be met with was joy, ease, peace, happiness, only to realize that my habitual pattern of disconnecting was keeping me disconnected, quite literally, from any opportunity to feel any of that ever. So as we're getting ready to end this conversation, I really do want to, again, emphasize the importance of presence. If your takeaway from this episode here um, with Jen and I sharing our own reparenting journey, the commitment you maybe make to yourself leaving this episode is just a moment of presence. Just begin to tune into the habits that are coloring your day for many of you outside of your awareness, resisting the urge in that moment, right? To shame or to criticize or to project blame or anger, and maybe making that the moment to, like you shared earlier, expand our hands and make a little bit of space, anticipating that probably it will be uncomfortable and just teaching our mind and our body how to be truly present to what is here before you make any other commitment about what you're going to do differently. Make that your commitment for today. And as always, thanking all of you for your continued commitment to tuning into these episodes, to continuing this conversation. As always, looking forward to doing so with you all during next episode.